Hello, and welcome. This is the What If I Told You podcast, a show where we don't give a shit who is tired of hearing us ask for urgency in solving crimes against women. Not one single fuck. Not one fuck at all. So if if you are tired of it, please kindly see yourself out. Please. Leave us a review on your way out. We would love to hear that shit. Yeah, great, thanks. Yes, goodbye. (laughs) We'll see you later. That really reminds me of when My Favorite Murder does live shows. They do a lot of live shows. Mm -hmm. Well, used to. And at the beginning, they always say, like, if you're not familiar with the show, if someone dragged you here, we are a true crime comedy podcast. And if that makes you uncomfortable... Get the fuck out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you just got to put that out there. For real. For real. So, before we get into our shit here, please check us out on TikTok and Instagram. And, uh, you know, send us a little email if you have a request. What if I told you podcast at gmail.com. And we've said this like three times in the past month, but I don't know what you're doing with your life. But please follow us on Instagram. Yeah. Where are you? I just, I don't get it. Like, I'm not a huge Instagrammer. Um, I put shit on my Instagram, but I don't scroll it. Mm-hmm. But I will still follow something like a podcast. Or, yeah. Or a celebrity that I like. Or just fucking people in general that I have interest in. So let's do that shit. Yeah. Get into it. I am an Instagram scroller if I'm going to be, like, on my phone. Yeah. Lately, like, the past several months, I just haven't been spending a lot of time on my phone or social media in general. But when I do, I'm usually on Instagram. I don't know. Instagram's kind of boring to me, to be quite honest. Yeah. But... Um, let's, right now, we're checking to see if anyone from goddamn Idaho... No. Really? Well, all right. Idaho, we don't know what to do now. We can't be friends anymore. We don't want you here. Yeah, you are still the only one, Idaho! You are the only state that doesn't have a single download. Yeah, not a single one. one. All of the other states have, like, well, Nebraska only has three, so they're, they're... I mean, it's, Down, they're busy but, with their corn. Yeah. So. Most other states have, like, multiple hundred downloads. Yeah, and multiple countries yeah, yeah. have hundreds of downloads. I'm officially declaring that Idaho does not count for shit. <laughs> Sweden likes us better. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So, one, one day we'll get you. One day. Yeah, and if, you know what? Well, you're not listening. I can't I can't even make this announcement because you're not from Idaho, because if you were, you wouldn't be listening to this. But if this <laughs> happens to be the first episode that you're listening to and you're from Idaho, please send us a message and we will shout you out and you will be crowned. You'll be crowned king of Idaho or queen of Idaho. Yes. Or supreme ruler of Idaho. Whatever, whatever. you want to call it. Whatever. Emperor. I prefer Emperor. Because you would then be the only one that matters there. That's right. So. We'll go with Emperor. I love that. Yeah. 
I don't like saying that word because it's kind of awkward. Emperor. Emperor. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like rural. <laughs> rural. 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 It's stupid. There's, um, oh, like peculiar. Mm-hmm. I really have to think about that word before I say it, which is weird because I'm, I, I can read and I can write and I can talk and say things, but saying peculiar like my mouth just doesn't want to do it yeah it's very weird the english language in general is very weird and there's a guy on tiktok and i wish i knew his name is it like the british dude that's bald with the beard yes yeah i love him he's amazing it's like he he does like the back and forth like two people but he's playing both parts right and it's like they're making up English words, and one of them's really snarky about it. Yeah. The last one I watched was about pear. So you have, like, a pair of things, and then you have the fruit pear, and then you have, like, pairing knife. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's like pair a pair of pears. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, my God. And the look on the one guy's face when he comes up with these, he's just, like, super snarky, like, pear. <laughs> I love it. It's so funny and so true. Speaking of pears, um, we had Sonic for breakfast. We did, and I was underwhelmed. Yeah, I got um, a bacon toaster sandwich, which when I worked at Sonic in high school was like my go-to like shift food, but they can be a little rough sometimes. Yeah. My thing is, for a breakfast sandwich... I want either a biscuit, a Mc, uh, an English muffin, or a croissant. Yeah. I don't really want, like, toast bread, like, Texas toast bread for my sandwich. It reminds me, it, I just think I need to be eating a grilled cheese at that point. Yeah. Instead of, like, a breakfast sandwich. I mean, it, it was what it was. Yeah. I was prepared for it to not be super delicious. I was mm-hmm. so goddamn hungry. I probably would have eaten, like, really anything they would have mm-hmm. thrown at me. Yeah. But it did its job. It, but it was Sonic. Yeah. I had a breakfast burrito, and it was heavy on the egg and not enough sausage. Yeah. It was, like, 90-10 egg-to-sausage ratio, <laughs> and that's unacceptable. Yeah, that's just something about, like, when you're eating eggs... Now, for me, if I'm eating eggs, whether they be scrambled or, like, fried eggs, I can't just sit there and eat the eggs by themselves. Because then my brain is like, wow, this really tastes like eggs. See, Stop. I can just eat an egg. But fast food eggs are very different. And I usually, when I get a breakfast sandwich at McDonald's or Sonic or wherever, I always get it without an egg. Because oh, I yeah. don't like the texture. Mm, yeah, of, like the spongy McDonald's ones. Yeah, it's just not, it's not good. It's not the best, no. But if I just make myself an egg at home, I'll just fucking eat it. I don't care. Like if I'm eating breakfast and it's eggs, I have to eat it with toast. If it's scrambled eggs, I have to have like salsa on it or something. Mm. Um, I like eggs. I don't want to eat them by themselves. You just have to dress them up a little. Yes, exactly. Like... I'll eat a boiled egg with just salt on it. Yeah, I'll now I'll do like boiled eggs or like deviled eggs. I by don't themselves, do deviled eggs, but they don't. 
Yeah. It's a it's different a, flavor. It's wildly different. But yeah, I'll eat scrambled eggs by themselves or a fried egg. I don't really care. I, I really love an egg, but not a fast food egg. And not a lot of it. And not a bre- when I am thinking breakfast burrito, I'm thinking some egg, some like even egg to sausage ratio, cheese, maybe some potato in there. Yep. This was not that. This was a lot of overcooked scrambled egg and cheese sauce. And like not fresh eggs at that. No. They were a little gray. I know. It's not good. Yeah. So Chip's Corner. Right. Um, Chip got into polygraphs and it, and this is, I mean, this is what we all know, but it's something y'all should hear. And he said, so the main reason that police and investigators use polygraphs, despite not being able to use in court, is because it's a psychological thing towards the... Suspect. Suspect. I don't know why I forgot that word. (laughs) Um, And if the suspect believes that their lies are going to be detected, then they are more likely to confess what they did. I feel that. And at the same time, most people would worry that if they refuse to take the test, then that would make them look guilty, which I do feel that way. I wouldn't take one, but I would be like, oh my God, they think I did it because I don't want to take a polygraph. And so, essentially, they're being guilted into taking the test and are more likely to confess because they're worried that the polygraph actually works. So, police and everyone knows that polygraphs are not guaranteed, but they're basically just trying to trick people into confessing. Which, it's totally true. That So, it's... Right. And that's obviously, you know, we all kind of assume that, you know, yeah. it's a railroading tactic. But I just feel like... It's a fucking cop out. Yeah, I it to me it's weird that I think polygraphs are stupid in general. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, polygraph tests can be passed. Yes, that's that's the biggest thing I think. First of all, why would you waste time doing something like a polygraph knowing you can't use that as evidence against someone right it can't be spoken of at all in trial so it has no point whatsoever especially Mm -hmm. now i kind of understand if we were in 1996 where people most people probably weren't aware it wasn't admissible yeah and most people back then i think did look at those as lie detectors and not just a test that measures your uh, heart rate, heart rate yeah. and your perspiration levels. Mm-hmm. So back then, before information was so accessible, I could understand that being more used. But now, in 2021, we all know you can't use that information. Yeah, exactly. It is not going to tell you if I am lying or not. So, people who are lying out of their teeth can pass them, and people who are telling the truth can fail them. I think that we, as a group, need to come together 
and end polygraph tests. Yeah, it's 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 stupid. Let's just get the it, fuck over this. Yeah, let's, it's stupid. Let's use like real police work and evidence techniques. Yes. Or evidence findings, I mean, um, yeah, to just get that shit done. Because people just point to polygraph tests as... And, and they don't even have to tell the truth to the suspect. The suspect could pass it, and the officer can come in and say, you failed it. I would 100% fail any polygraph test that was administered to me. And I think I've said this before. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Because I don't like being put on the spot under yeah. any sort of pressure because mm-hmm. i could i could be worried about something completely unrelated and just the added stress of being like grilled about something mm-hmm. i'd be all over the place yeah the, a normal person in interrogation situation they are 100% going to be nervous yes of course of course. It's just, I just don't understand it. And that I feel like the use of polygraphs largely contributes to the huge amount of wrongful convictions that we see. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like if I was in law enforcement, one of my biggest fears would be that I wrongfully convicted someone of a crime and they had to go to jail Mm -hmm. when they were innocent. I think that would be my biggest fear as a law enforcement officer or a prosecutor. Any person with a moral compass would feel that way. But being wrongfully convicted is a huge fear of mine. Yeah. Like a huge fear. Mm -hmm. Because it's, I don't know. Of course no one wants to be wrongfully convicted of a fucking crime, but I really think about it (laughs) on a regular basis. I'm like, fuck, what if if I'm wrongfully convicted of something? (laughs) I mean, shit. Just, I mean, that would fucking suck. I'm not going to make it in prison, you guys. You would not. I just simply wouldn't. So, enough about Maddie's very <laughs> irrational fear about getting wrongfully convicted of serial murder um, or like car theft. <laughs> Today, we are going to be talking about the Chicago 51. You probably don't know what that is. Yeah, you probably don't. You probably fucking don't. Um, so we're here to tell you about it. So buckle up. Between January 4th 2001 and September 10th, 2018, 51 women were murdered in Chicago's South and West Sides, hence Chicago 51. Hence. And most of the women who were killed were black women, and the majority of these cases remain unsolved and largely unreported by mainstream media. Fucking shocker. Yeah. And, I mean, the... just all of the facts here don't lie, and I don't know if anyone else pays attention to trends or statistics. Mm-hmm. We do over here. Yeah. And black women are murdered at twice the rate of women of other races in the United States. That is just the cold, hard facts. Yeah. And according to a Centers for Disease Control and Prevention analysis of female homicide statistics between 2003 and 2014, black and indigenous women were killed as a result of homicide at rates more than double 
of other races. Yeah. And we talked about this when we covered the Elena Thunderbird murder. And that was a Canadian murder, but I think it holds true for Canada and the U.S. that women of color and predominantly black women and indigenous women, they're murdered at such a higher rate. They make up less of the percentage of the population. Yeah. And their murders are almost always unsolved. Almost, almost 100% of the time. It's so crazy. Yeah, it's gross. It is, yeah, the most unprotected person in the world is the black woman. Oh, yeah, 100%. And that's just cold hard facts. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make any fucking sense. Nope. A 2010 CDC report found that black and indigenous women also experienced rape, stalking, and or physical violence at rates 20 to 50% higher than those experienced by Hispanic, non-Hispanic, white, Asian, or Pacific Islander women. So that's terrifying. Yeah. Also. Mm -hmm. The Chicago 51, the women who were killed between 2001 and 2018 were found in alleys, abandoned houses, and vacant lots, mostly in the west and south sides of Chicago. Some of them were beaten, strangled, or asphyxiated, and others had been dismembered. And all of the women ranged from age 18 to 58. So that's like a huge, huge age range. It's a huge age range, for sure. I wanted to, like, kind of front load the specifics of the murders themselves um, with kind of manner of death, cause of death. Because all 51 of these murders were either asphyxiated or strangled. Yeah. Whenever we go over the victims, I just didn't want part of the victim profile we read to be to include how they died. Yeah. Because in a lot of the research that I did for this specific case was that if these cases were covered in the media, it was always, like, blood baiting. Yeah. And they were focusing on kind of the more gruesome aspects, kind of that it bleeds, it leads Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so they were all just kind of defined by... What happened? How horribly their murder was, and not because they're women who were killed, and we need to find out who did it. Right. So we're not going to linger on the way these women were killed. We're going to linger on who they were. First and foremost, we're going to talk about Chicago and the south and west sides of Chicago. Um, We all know that the kind of perception of Chicago as a whole city is that it's fairly dangerous. Mm -hmm. We're going to kind of talk about why those parts of the city are specifically looked at as being way more dangerous than the other parts of the city. So the demographics and... In our sources, there will be links to different maps of Chicago, and it outlines different um, different things like 
people, percentage of people who live below the poverty line and where those concentrations of population are. Um, so first we're going to look at the living conditions in the South and West sides, um, mostly based on poverty level and education opportunity. So when looking at the map of Chicago, um, the areas with the least economic hardship to the areas of most economic hardship between 2013 and 2017, it's clear, obviously, when you pull up this map, it's starkly different. The west and south sides are hugely lower in economic opportunity than the north side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it's so crazy that the city is so divided. It's almost like you could draw a line on this map that divides the north side and the west and south sides. It's like an L mm-hmm. around the city. Yeah. Of like, these are the outliers. This is where most of the population that lives in the west and south sides are living at or below the poverty level. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so this map is actually from the Chicago Department of Public Health. So the government of Chicago is aware <laughs> that there's mad issues yeah. in their city and that opportunities are concentrated in one area and that's it. So they used six socioeconomic factors to calculate the economic hardship index. They looked at unemployment. So that's the percentage of the population over age 16 who are unemployed. Dependency, which was the percentage of the population that are under age 18 or over age 64. Education, the percentage of the population over age 25 who have less than a high school education. Um, Income, level of household income per person. Crowded housing, measured by percentage of occupied housing units with more than one person per room, and poverty, the percentage of people living below the federal poverty line. So that is how they calculated, and it resulted in showing that most of the South and west sides of Chicago are living with the highest levels of economic hardship. Very, very huge percentage of the city. Yeah. Um, and it's said that 6 in 10 Chicago adults say they are unable to afford an emergency expense of $400 using cash or a cash equivalent. So most people who live in Chicago... Couldn't if they had like a car breakdown and it would were to cost them four hundred dollars, they wouldn't be able to fix their car without putting it on a credit card. Yeah, that's that's and that's so so common though. Oh, it's so common. I'm sure that if you were to look at those stats as compared to here, mm-hmm. there would probably be a large percentage of adults who would say the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's just, we don't have, in the U.S. at large, we don't have a huge social 
net to help you. Mm -hmm. Like, we have so many things to consider when it comes to money that a lot of other developed countries don't deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so crime stats. um, According to Chicago police for the date range of July 15th, 2021, to July 21st, 2021. This is six days. Six. Yeah. This is not a full week. This is not a year. This is six days. 413 murders... 1,137 sexual assaults. That number blew me the fuck away. Yeah. That's insane. Now, comparing 2021 numbers to past years in 2020, 425 murders, 922 sexual assaults. 2019, 276 murders. About the same sexual assaults as the six-day range this year. Um... Over 1,100 sexual assaults. And in 2018, 308 murders and a little over 1,100 sexual assaults. Yeah. Those numbers are intense for date ranges like that. Yeah. (laughs) I was really shocked when I saw that. That's Yeah, I don't even know what to say, honestly. In general, the south side of Chicago has a known stigma because of the crime stats, of course, but also the wild disparity between the economic hardship of the north side of Chicago and the south and west sides. So it it has stigmatized the south side of Chicago, which probably results in businesses not trying to move in there and prevents a lot of growth for the area. Yeah. So it kind of is cyclical. It's a revolving kind of door that's happening. So obviously those parts of Chicago are seen as being way more dangerous. They get such little support from the government. And I think it also leads to law enforcement authorities as not taking crimes that happen there as seriously. Um, They're assuming they happen at a much higher rate and... They just don't put in their full efforts to solve the crimes that happen there. Yeah. And it also leads to victims of this area being labeled a certain way. Like, the authorities just assume they're sex workers or they're drug addicts or they're people who have been, like, living on the street or they live that, quote, high-risk lifestyle that we hear so much about from law enforcement. So that, in turn, means that they're not taking these crimes as seriously as if they happened in a more affluent neighborhood. Yeah. So, obviously, that's gross. Um, But we do have a nonprofit that has come into the circle on the Chicago 51, and it's an organization called MAP, M-A-P, and that sounds stands for the Murder Accountability Project. So it was founded in 2015 to track unsolved homicides nationwide. So it's not just covering Chicago or the Chicago 51. It is a nationwide tool, but 
the algorithm that MAP uses, um, which combines homicide data to identify murder clusters that have a higher likelihood of containing serial killings, um, MAP's work is telling us that the Chicago 51 murders are likely serial killer or serial killers. Yeah. So their work is really helping to analyze the crime statistics, has identified the cluster of these 51 murders, and used all of those factors to point to, hey, you should be looking for one killer, potentially. And if we're going to look at the numbers by year in a minute, but it really does seem like one person could have committed these murders. Yeah. I mean, we've seen people, single serial killers, match these numbers. Absolutely. So this would not be out of the question. Uh, But Chicago PD continues to deny that there are signs of serial murder at work, which is silly. Is so silly. And I think we see law enforcement deny serial killers for as long as possible, mm-hmm. which kind of seems strange to me because I don't know what is worse. The idea of 51 different people killing these women individually. So we just have 51 people out here who have no qualms about murdering and dismembering and leaving bodies in alleys and trash cans. Yeah. Or if we just have one or two who are doing this serially. Yeah. Which one is worse? I don't really know. I think... 51 51, crazed people? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I would be much more alarmed. Like, oh, shit. There's a lot of people out here willing to kill. (laughs) (laughs) But... Yeah, so MAP is doing the Lord's work. We do have their website in our sources also. You can pull up the Chicago 51 map, and it's clearly a cluster, I think. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. And it it has the map, and it shows little dots for each of the victims, and you can, like, hover the dot, and it'll say, like, the year and the person and how they were killed. So... It has all the data. I can list the numbers if you want. Okay, cool. So I'm going to list the year and then the number following the year be the murders. Yes. So in 2001, six. 2002, six. 2003, eight. 2004, three. 2005, five. 2006, 3, 2007, 4, 2008, 1, 2009, 4, 2010, 2, 2011, 1, 2012, 1, 2013, 0, 2014, 1, 2015 and 2016, nothing, 2017, 2, 2018, 4. Those numbers make me feel like it's a serial killer. 
I agree. Because it seems like... This is kind of going to sound fucked up. It's not hard. Like, that's a... Like a like a pretty balanced number of killings per year. Yeah, that's what I thought of when I assembled this list was like when I think about how many people other serial killers killed in the span of a year or two years or whatever, I feel like less than one per month is not, it It would not be impossible for a person to pull that off at all. Yeah. So... I don't think it's out of the question that this is a serial killer who has just gone unapprehended because they're not investigating these murders as they should. It's kind of, it's hard, it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, Because I, I mean, you wouldn't want to think that these were all murders committed by completely different people. Right. But that wouldn't be surprising if it was. Yeah. It... Yeah, I think, I don't know, it's so difficult to say, but my instinct is that there is a serial killer at work here. Maybe there are a handful of victims that were killed by other people, but I think the majority of these victims are likely serial killings. Mm-hmm. I just, I just think so. I feel that. I just feel the same way because I'm trying to think of like another serial killer with like a really high number. Um, well, I just looked up Ted Bundy cause he's one that everyone knows. Now he has 30 confessed victims and 20 confirmed. Um, so let's see. Uh, I don't know what year. Yeah. He's, He's was only out here really committing murders for like five years. And he confessed to 30 murders in like yeah. five years. Yeah. So <laughs> let's contextualize that a little. But 20 of them were confirmed. 20 in five years? That's four per year. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And who was the other... Um... God, who was, uh, um... Are you thinking of Gary Ridgway? Maybe? Like, and his number was high. He's the Green River Killer. His span of crimes was from 1982 to 1998, so similar, like, date range. He killed 48 people. He was initially convicted of 48 separate murders, uh, but the total number of convictions, 249. Who is the older man? And I think his, like, he had, like, almost 90 victims over just, like, decades. Samuel Little? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it makes me think of. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do remember seeing in um, when I was doing research that they were comparing the Chicago 51 murders to Gary Ridgway. Okay, that would make sense. Because he was convicted of 49 murders and there are 51 here. So, yeah. Um, Yeah, very. So people see 51 as a really huge number, which 
It is. Of course it is. But it's not completely implausible that this is one person. Yeah, I, I, that's why it's silly to me that the police are like, nah. They're not even entertaining the idea. It's almost like people don't think that serial killers are still a thing while they probably aren't as popular as they used to be. By popular, I mean happening. Yeah. But who the fuck knows? Yeah, I mean, if you think about a lot of the serial killers that were active in, like, the 70s, they were not caught or convicted until the 90s. Right. So serial killers who are out there operating in the 2000s might not be caught for a while. So murder rates are higher than they were in the 70s. Yeah. We have serial killers among us, people. Um, They're just... They just have to operate in a different manner because of technology. Right. right. So. I'm going to talk about the Unforgotten Project. The goal um, was not to solve the murders, but to humanize the victims and tell their stories. This is what um, John W. Fountain said, who is the professor of journalism at Roosevelt University. Our job was not to solve the case, but to shine light on the case in the hope that it would be solved and the families would have solace and these women would ultimately have justice. Fucking what an idea. What a concept. And the project's goal is to tell the stories of these victims as everyone who is a victim of murder or violent crime should have. Right. The reporters are 15 of his journalism students. So that's super badass. Yeah. Um, they track down the families of the victims in order to put together the profiles of the victims and their lives. They did encounter mixed reactions from the families, which to me seems not surprising. Right, right. And um, many of the victims had been profiled by the media as being drug addicts or sex workers, and their families didn't trust budding journalism journalists because... They've been burned by the media. Exactly. I would feel the same way. Exactly. However, some were very happy to shine light on the murders and that the maybe the new attention being placed on the cases would, I don't know, stir up something. Mm-hmm. And um, some even stated that they had never even heard from police, let alone any type of media. Yeah, that's so... Excuse me? I, I'm i sorry. Someone in your family was murdered and you've never heard from the police or a fucking reporter? I, I... Let me say that again. Someone in your family was murdered. Murdered. And you haven't been able to speak with the local police about it? They have not approached you about the murdered family family member in your immediate family. That is so gross. It's unacceptable. What? Like, how are we treating murder in big cities like this? Who gives a fuck what the demographics are like? Exactly. Who gives a fuck? These are human beings who are being murdered. 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 
they're not like we're not talking about people committing crimes and and going to jail to serve two years for fucking weed right we're talking about people who have been brutally murdered at that yeah not just like shot in a drive-by right brutally murdered and the cops haven't knocked on a fucking door Right. Isn't that, like, one of the first things they do is door-to-doors? That, like, actually makes me kind of sick. And contact the family? Like, hey, I don't know if you knew this, but... Yeah. Just a little investigation. For fuck's sake. You know? What the... Maybe just... Maybe just a little. Just so you can go home at the end of the day and be like, I'm glad I got to talk to that family about their dead daughter today right fuck okay i'm done ridiculous um so the students were eventually able to get profiles for 10 of the women and those profiles can be found at unforgotten51.com which is the project's website and that will be in our sources obviously it's in our sources and this website is um really good they they update it regularly Mm -hmm. um they're a ton of different articles that the journalists students have written in regards to the crimes there is a podcast that they do sometimes so you can find that there um all the profiles of the 10 that they were able to put together um are there and um we're gonna do some of those today mm-hmm. so it's just, there's a lot of really great stuff on their website. Um, it reminds me a lot of the uh, Disappearing Daughters project that we covered in our Women of Juarez episodes. So, it, it seems like in both of these instances, we have basically genocide happening against women. Yeah. And very little investigation happening very little media coverage so civilians have to start these web projects in order to try and get any attention on what's happening yeah i mean if you want a job done right you have to do it yourself i guess so fuck (laughs) i mean even when it comes to possibly helping solve murders yeah people like scoff at the like armchair detective, the web sleuths out here trying to solve murders, but Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. We wouldn't have to do this if there would be at least some effort. Just a little bit. Just be out here and try to solve some shit. Right. Okay. So for the victims, the profiles we're talking about are from the Unforgotten Project. Uh, it was really the only place that I could find information about who these women were as people, which, again, fucking disgusting. So we there's still very little information, even what we have here, but we will post a photo of the 51 women's names mm-hmm. because at least that we have. Right. Um, so our, the first victim we're going to talk about is Nancy Carolyn Walker. 
She disappeared on January 28th, 2003. So Nancy was a successful Southside businesswoman. She loved to dance. And in high school, she was actually a cheerleader and a dancer. She danced modern dance, jazz, and ballet. So she was a legit, like, professionally trained dancer. Yeah. Uh, she graduated from Francis Parker High School and then attended Columbia College, where she majored in accounting and chose a career that would provide greater longevity and income than dance. Because you can only dance until you're, like, fucking 20. Yeah. It's like being a gymnast. You can barely do it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... Even after she pursued multiple careers in the finance world, she still stayed true to her dance roots and opened her own studio in Inglewood, where she taught yoga and jazzercise. Um, None of the people who knew Nancy were surprised by her success. Um, She eventually became landlord of five different residential buildings uh, that included a beauty salon and a trucking company. So she's a straight-up fucking entrepreneur. Yeah. So she she was out here kind of defying the stereotype of South Side of Chicago. Right. And making a life for herself. And then in 2003, she went missing. And she was missing for seven weeks before her body was found in trash bags on the Bishop Ford Freeway. She was 55 at the time of her disappearance. Jesus. Yeah. Fucking terrible. Next we have Gwendolyn Williams, who was found on June 12th, 2002. And Gwendolyn also loved to dance. Her family always said that her face lit up as music coursed through her body, and they said that she had a gentle soul. And she also loved to cook um, things like collard greens and homemade cornbread, so your southern cuisine. Gwen was the consummate big sister, always babysitting, cooking, and shielding her sisters and two brothers from hurt, harm, and danger. So I know a lot of people out there with younger siblings can kind of relate to what it's like to be like a caretaker of sorts for your younger siblings. Mm-hmm. I'm the youngest, so I don't know what that's like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have all older siblings and I think that's why I look up to them a lot because they were always doing shit for me when I was little. Yeah. You know, cause my mom was always working. Mm hmm. You know, they were always out there doing shit for me, and that's awesome that she was doing that, too. Yeah. So, of course, she went to church on sun- on Sundays and several times during the week, and that was just her family's routine. Even when Gwen was grown and gone, she knew enough whenever she visited home to bring her church clothes so that she could attend Sunday morning and worship with their family. She instructed her sisters and said, I need you to stay straight because she wanted them to finish school and go to college and to grow up to be successful. And she just wanted them to have more. And how old was she? Um, I don't think it said how old she was okay. in her profile. Next is Diamond Turner. She was found on March 3rd, 2017. 
she was 21 and on the unforgotten website her her profile doesn't have much information as the reporters were not able to actually make contact with her family but diamond's case is the only one in the 51 in which a suspect has been arrested and charged um, police officials have said that the suspect was charged in January of 2020 and at this point is apparently not linked to the other 50 women. So we will talk about that in depth after we do the victims. But um, what we can tell you about Diamond is that she is loved, she's missed, and she is not forgotten. Next is... Rio Renee Hollyfield. She was found September 10th, 2018. She grew up in South Side's Inglewood neighborhood, though as she grew older, would ride the train with her cousins to explore the city. She liked to sing and she would often serenade her family. It is also said that she made the best peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and spaghetti and that she was a fighter and a protector. But she was murdered and literally discarded as trash. Her family never got to hold a funeral and they didn't, they never got to touch a casket and to have a proper farewell because her body was so badly decomposed that she had to be cremated. Ricardo Hollyfield, age 32, called her his sister, although she was actually his first cousin. And any insinuations, innuendo, or questions of whether Rio might have been engaged in a lifestyle or activity that would somehow suggest that she or any of the 51 deserved to be killed continues to fuel the Hollyfields to just fight for her name and to, like, keep it alive. It is so, so sad because I've seen so many, like, mini docuseries about... I wish I could remember it because it reminds me of this. Um, I'll have to find it and show it to you. But I've seen a lot of docu-series about, like, clusters of women in different cities, like, going mm-hmm. missing. The Lisk docu-series was kind of like that. Yeah, Lisk is one. Um, there's another one, and I want to say it's, like, Michigan, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, I think. But... A lot of them aren't aren't talked about because of their lifestyle. Yeah, that's I think that is a trend where the powers that be just decide that if a person if the victim was a sex worker or homeless or addicted to drugs or alcohol, that they don't deserve the same amount of coverage as like a blonde haired blue eyed college student here's the thing um like we already know that you shouldn't be murdered no matter what your lifestyle is like but let's say we have 10 women who are all murdered let's say every single one of them was a sex worker and every single one of them dabbled in drugs somehow Mm -hmm. first of all it doesn't matter simply because they're human beings but they have family that loves them just as much as the girl next door's family loves 
her. Yeah. And that to me is just, I don't understand why human nature can be so gross and cruel and categorizing people um, and basically saying, well, I hold these humans above these humans when it comes to being brutally murdered and assaulted. Yeah. It's just so... It's so ignorant for people to have those thoughts. It really is. And, you know, victim profile aside, no matter what lifestyle they are leading, no matter what they are doing, there is a person out there who killed them. That person needs to be put away. That person is a murderer Mm -hmm. and you're allowing that murderer to be at large and take this person's life with basically without retribution. And they're just out here to take more people's lives. Yeah. You know, their lifestyle has no bearing on the fact that they were murdered. Absolutely not. Now, can you say they were involved with these other people in order to use it as an investigation tool to find out who murdered them? Obviously. Right. If if you are hanging out with, and I'm air quoting, a bad group of people, um, yes, I mean, you could potentially be putting yourself in a situation where shit could go wrong at some point. Right. Just based on circumstance and different events Mm -hmm. and the different things that go on within that circle but you still have to find the person who murdered her yeah because why do you want them to continue to just be out here yeah yeah exactly like huh i'm i just don't get it i don't i don't get it yeah next is Teresa bunn she was found november 12th 2007 and there is not a lot of information on her. Um, all we know is that she was 21 years old and she was expecting her first child. So this woman was pregnant and we do know that she was really, really excited to become a mom and that was taken away from her. Yeah. So I guess we could say that there are technically 52 victims. Yeah. Because that's how I would pregnant. Uh, That is like incredibly fucking heartbreaking. Um, so next we have Shantaea Smith. She was found in 2018. I couldn't find the month, but uh, 2018. She was a 26 year old mom of a six year old girl. Her cousin, Christina Hopkins, described her as, quote, she was a good mother. She made sure her daughter went to school, made sure she did her homework, and she was home to make sure her daughter was in bed at night. Hopkins also said that she was one of the closest cousins that Shantaea had, and she would call, when Shantaea would call, Christina would come and get her out of the house just to have a one-on-one talk. They would go out to eat and basically just kind of uplift each other. Um, They would go to the suburbs just for a change of scenery. And Christina says, all I do know is that the police are labeling her a certain way and that's just not true. 
Um, whatever Shantaya did, I can't say because she never exposed it to the family. Whatever she was labeled, it didn't mean she had to lose her life. It didn't mean she had to be taken from her daughter. So, um, exactly. Exactly. It, it doesn't matter what she's out here doing. She was murdered and the person who killed her needs to be put in jail. Put in jail forever. Just if anyone is unsure what we mean by all this is if you be murdering people, you need to be in jail. Yeah, we're we're not down for you being at large after you have taken it upon yourself to end the life of another. Yes, exactly. Because guess what? That's just not something you get to do. No, absolutely not. Well, you shouldn't get to do. Listen, as long as you're not hurting other people or animals, I don't really care what the fuck you're doing. Absolutely. Um, but mm. when you start hurting other people, I do care what you're doing. Yeah, it's unacceptable. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about Jessica Flores. She disappeared February of 2019. She was a 36-year-old mother of six, six babies, who lived in South Suburban, South Chicago Heights. I think that's a neighborhood. Yes. She was Maddie Perez's sister, um, and Maddie describes her as a free spirit, and she said she was the one in my family that always gave the best big hugs. She was the sister who gave the kind of big bear hugs that swallow you up with a sense of warmth and love and that will linger forever in her family's memories. She had beautiful brown eyes and auburn hair and her younger sister could light up a room when she walked in. She trusted easily, loved profoundly, and her laughter was always filled with life. Maddie goes on to say, My sister made mistakes with her drug addiction, but I can tell you one thing. She battled her demons. My sister had a mental health illness. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and when she wasn't on her medication, she'd have those relapses to do drugs. She may have made a mistake. She may have done something. But when she saw you, it was like that was behind her. She was living for today and moving forward. Okay, so our last victim profile we have is for Genevieve Jenny Mayus. She was found October 9th, 2008. Um, Jenny had a childhood home where she lived with her mom in the Chicago Lawn neighborhood. She was safe there. She had food and love and a safe place to go whenever she needed it. Um, but she did live a lot of her life on the streets, um, and often she would choose to stay out despite having a safe place to go. But, um, she was also a mother of six and her two eldest daughters, Amanda and Amber, gave the reporters some details of her life, um. They said, quote, our mom had her problems and everything, but overall she was a god in our eyes. She would do and we would do anything for her and she would do anything for us. Their mother's life was not without problems. They said when Mayas was 18 and pregnant with her second daughter, Amber, she was frying something and obviously a grease fire ignited in the pan. Um, she 
panicked as you do when fire erupts. Yeah. <laughs> and you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, she ran with the pan outside, attempting to put the fire out, and the flaming oil spilled and covered her body. She suffered severe burns. She had a lengthy recovery in the hospital, and that is where she became addicted to morphine. Because they give you a hella amount of painkillers for burns, because burns are crazy painful. Yeah. Um, so that injury caused her to develop a dependence on morphine. Um, and in time, this led to addiction to other drugs, obviously. But despite her addictions, which led her more and more to the streets over time, she always managed to make her way back home. And her daughters admit that it wasn't perfect, but even with her battle with drugs, not a week went by without her coming home to them. She was 32 at the time of her death. Those are the victim profiles that we were able to get. Obviously, the rest of the 51 women had lives and families and people who cared and loved about them. And regardless of if they were sex workers or had a drug dependency, mental health illness, they deserve justice for their murders yeah that should go without saying yeah it just doesn't though no okay so the first arrest among the 51 murders was arthur hilliard um chicago police have arrested and charged him with the homicide of diamond turner which was the first arrest to be made along made among the cluster of female strangulations. Disgusting. Yeah. The cluster was identified by a computer algorithm developed by MAP, the Murder Accountability Project. Fucking yay. Yeah, they're doing the Lord's work. For real. And um, Turner, who was 21, was found strangled, beaten, and partially disrobed in a trash bin in the 7300 block of South Kenwood Avenue by city garbage collectors on March 3rd, 2017. Her case was similar in many key respects to those of the other 50 victims. Yeah. Hilliard, who was 52 years old, is also under investigation for two other homicides, according to the police. He was previously charged and convicted of the illegal concealment of the body of murder victim Andra Williams, who was confined to a wheelchair this is a psychopath yeah this is this is fucking ridiculous her body was found with multiple stab wounds in a shopping cart in the alley behind his west side apartment building yeah and while the chicago 51 were strangulations or asphyxiations um they were all found in alleys or abandoned places or in the trash so this victim andrew williams was found in an alley behind an apartment building yeah that fits the mo of the chicago 51 it really does so um hilliard also has a history um of six misdemeanor assault and 
assault or battery charges over a number of years, although none resulted in any conviction. Well, that seems crazy. <laughs> um, police said they arrested him after an Illinois state crime lab delivered DNA results that confirmed blood found on Hilliard's home belonged to Diamond. Chicago Interim Police Superintendent Charlie Beck said, as soon as DNA came back, the warrant was served. Congrats. Great. Um, for Hilliard's arrest. However, Illinois officials said the most recent lab tests and Diamond's murder were delivered to Chicago police in March of last year. So, it's what you're saying is July. he lied. Yeah. So that's awkward. Mm, cool. So what you're saying is... He sat, they sat on DNA for almost a year. Cool, 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 cool. Almost. Um, we're just kind of going to kind of wrap this up other than our huge that we'll run through in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, we just really want to know when not only like. I don't know, police and investigators are going to start taking these more seriously. But right. also, like, I know it's really, really great to just, like, kind of live your own life and not pay attention to what's happening around you and just worry about yourself. I, I love it. Worry about your damn self. I get it. Yeah. But... Let's start talking about shit like this more often. Yeah. Let's forget about Ted fucking Bundy. Yeah. You guys, Ted Bundy. He been dead for a long ass time. We're done with him. Yeah. Let's talk about the perpetual slaying of women and men. Uh, just any victim of murder. Yeah. Um, let's just do that. Let's just continue to talk about it and learn about it and read the statistics and you ask what can you do well find shit like map and donate to them share their website yes, yes exactly um the unforgotten 51 project like give give them your your listens go to their website and just read it yeah just educate yourself on what's happening out here um yeah like i i mean i love to turn a blind eye to a lot of things that happen in the media. I could I couldn't care less about what this celebrity said to this celebrity or just the absolute fucking bullshit that's just everywhere all the time. Mm -hmm. What I do care about is people's lives. Yeah. Um, and I think everyone yeah. should. I'm so fucking over people talking about what celebrity what celebrities are tweeting. Like First of all, Twitter sucks, so let's get that out there in the universe. Twitter's the fucking worst. But also, I don't care what the celebrities are tweeting. No. That's not what I want to hear on the news. Right. Like, no thank you. Let's, let's make sure to put on the news things that are newsworthy. Like, yeah. 51 women of color being murdered in Chicago. Yeah. Chicago's not that far from us. It really isn't. And so 
we, our news could be covering this case and it wouldn't be outrageous. Yeah. Why isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Why isn't our news saying no updates in the, the, the murder of these 51 women for information, please call the Chicago police department. Right. Like give them some tips, send them an email or give them a call to their tip line. You know, as we've said in previous episodes, someone knows something. Uh, and, yeah. you know, I know that there's a large mistrust of police and law enforcement, especially in the black community. Understandably so, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if our news media would cover these cases, talk about these women, maybe someone sitting at home watching the news will see their face and say, I saw that person on this day. I saw this or whatever. Right. Someone saw something out here and lack of coverage means that those people might not know that something happened to them. So. It's just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to this issue. But hopefully someone will, I don't know, fucking do something about this. <laughs> I don't know. It's so ridiculous to me. It really is. It really is. But we're glad you all listened to this. It's yes. very important. Super important. Um, I think we're going to change things up for the next episode. We are. We are are going to cover something a little more, I'm not going to use the term lighthearted because it's still, it's not lighthearted. Something but more, more fun. It's more fun. Yeah. 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 So. Not as heavy. It's, yeah. It's much less heavy. Yeah. It's heavy, but it's not. It's, it's cool. It's cool. It's interesting. It's a cool one. <laughs> um, Just wait and see. Yeah. It's going to come wait. out. It'll happen. You'll hear it. You'll hear it. I'm excited for it. Yeah. But- yeah. Haley and Ariel, we love you so very much. You are two of the most talented human beings I think I've ever met in my life. Um, And Ariel, I haven't even met you, but I love you so much. (laughs) I've um, never met Haley either. (laughs) Yeah. And Haley, you know that I love you. Yeah. So. Congratulations on your fresh tat. Oh my gosh. It's so pretty. Dude, Haley is so creative. She has her own art tattooed on her fucking body. That's, That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, this has been wonderful. Um, Please follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and email us. We would love to hear your thoughts. And um, give us a little review. Please, please, Apple Pods. Just a little guy. Just a little guy. Yeah. Yeah. Five stars, preferably. Yes. That would be most beneficial. Okay. So, that being said... Please, please be kind to each other. But stay weird. Okay, bye. Bye.